As a Reformed Baptist Church, to describe what we believe, we refer to ourselves as a uh, 1689 church, meaning we subscribe to the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689, uh, which was written by men of great intellect. Let me just tell you that uh, the thoroughness with which these men, these early Baptists of Puritan beliefs, went to to make sure what they taught was biblical truth is extraordinary. Uh, if you do not have a copy of the 1689 and wish one, we do have them available because they are worth reading. The London Second Baptist Confession uh, was based on the first London Baptist Confession uh, of 1644, which uh, preceded the Westminster Confession of Faith by two years. That's the uh, great Presbyterian uh, Confession of Faith which was written in 1644. It, is also, it also adapts part of the Savoy Declaration of 1658, which the Congregationalists go by. So it, it incorporates features of the First London Baptist Confession of Faith, the Westminster, and the Savoy. Now, as a confessional church... We reference the 1689 Baptist Confession quite often, but with this caveat, it is a summation of what we believe is Orthodox Christianity. It explains to us, in common words, what is the basis of Orthodox Christianity. But the 1689, as I did in my little preface, is not Scripture. It contains scripture. Its chapters appeal to scripture, but it is man's attempt to put scripture into a church governance template. Okay? Because we base our worship and what we ought to do and what we ought not to do uh, on the words of these men from nearly 400 years ago. In much the same way, just like with our Baptist catechism. Our catechism is, verses are right there. You can see where we get the catechism from to, to catechize, to teach ourselves what the faith truly teaches. In much the same way, the five solas of the Protestant Reformation are not scripture. They are an attempt by giants of the faith to succinctly explain what scripture teaches in response to the corruption of the gospel by specifically the Roman Catholic Church. And trust me when I say <clears throat> that I really do know that I stand on the shoulders of the great Christian early fathers and later fathers. The people who have studied these things are greater than I am in their knowledge, in their study, in their devotion. I understand that completely. These five solas, sola meaning alone in Latin, were in response to the Catholic teachings or failure to teach in five major areas. Sola Christus, Christ alone, the only person that we depend on for our salvation. It says that Jesus Christ alone is our only means of salvation and the only human revelation of God. 
The reformers relied on scripture for this sola from John 1.1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. They appealed in that sola to that scripture. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And 1 Timothy 2.5, all of these are backing up Christ alone. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. And when you look at when the reformers said, it's Christ alone, and then they appeal to scriptures such as these, you cannot accuse them of injecting man's thinking into this sola. Those are just three of the appeals to Scripture that bolsters this teaching. Sola fide, that we are saved from our sins by faith alone in Christ. Nothing that we do, no works, no baptism, no church membership, nothing else saves us but faith in Jesus. Uh, Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace alone. Sola gratia, the unmerited, undeserved favor of God. Our salvation comes solely by God's merciful action. God alone is to get all the glory. Sola gloria. Uh, Isaiah 43, 6-7 explains this. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. And Peter 1, uh, uh, 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we may die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Last sola. Sola scriptura. It is not the last sola the way the formulation is, but in my outline today it's the last sola because it is what we are going to be looking at in Acts and Paul today. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone is the point of our study today. Sola Scriptura does not mean Scripture, the Bible, are all we consider in Christianity. It's not that the traditions of the councils of those early church fathers mean nothing at all. It doesn't mean that the church order that has come down to us means nothing. But Sola Scriptura points to the supremacy of Scripture, how the Word of God is the highest and final authority on those things that Scripture addresses. Man has no authority to change or override those things. In 1 Corinthians 4, 6, the Apostle Paul addresses this very thing. He's talking, using himself as uh, and Apollos as an example of how to get along. He says, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. 
Okay, that means written in Scripture. Do not go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one another, in favor of one against another. Now, the debate between Roman Catholicism and Reformed Protestants about whether common men can read and comprehend God's word or not was not settled by Martin Luther or John Calvin or any of the great reformers of 600 years ago, but that debate continues on to this day. And I went to see, because I've heard the teaching before uh, um, 15 years ago uh, on what the Catholics believe, but I went back to their sources today to see what they believe. And uh, Catholic Online, which is, uh, I believe, part of the Catholic Church, says, the Bible needs to be read within the living tradition of the whole church. The reason for this is beautifully stated in the Catechism. And this is Catechism number 113. According to a saying of the fathers, sacred scripture is written principally in the church's heart rather than in documents and records. For the church carries in her tradition the living memorial of God's word, and it is the Holy Spirit who gives her the spiritual interpretation of the scripture. Okay? It's not in the written records, it's not in the words, it's in the church's interpretation. Catholicculture.org, uh, another Catholic site, run by laymen, however, I'll just let you know, but they are run by Catholic laymen, puts it this way. The Catholic approach to Scripture is quite different from that of most serious Protestants, especially fundamentalists. So, for, for this exercise here, as I continue on, we're fundamentalists, got it? Okay. I do consider myself a fundamentalist, even though it's gone into a disrepute, and they're using it in disrepute, okay, a fundamentalist. I want you to be aware of that. Especially fundamentalists. To begin with, Protestants have neither tradition nor authority to enlighten their interpretations of Scripture. Since Scripture and tradition are two forms of revelation from the same God, and since the Petrine, meaning Peter, Petrine authority in the church is established and protected by Christ, the magisterium, meaning the church, combines with scripture and tradition to give a complete and certain view of the truth. As the teachings of all three come from the same Holy Spirit, a right understanding of the faith is possible only when all three are taken properly into account. I do not believe that this is sola scriptura. Okay, just, just to let you know. And one of the reasons the reformers wrote what they did is because of this view. Goes on, in addition, since Protestants believe that everything required for salvation is in Scripture, okay, we've got a big ascent here, and only Scripture provides what is required, sola scriptura, they have in parentheses, they have a rather vested interest in insisting, contrary to their own historical experience, that scripture must be as plain as day. 
Fundamentalists in particular view scripture as something clear and obvious, much like a 20th century newspaper account, something to be received more or less as a series of plain facts that anybody can understand. And once again, I am going to plead guilty to this, okay? I do believe that scripture is plain. But this is nothing, they continue, like the original Christian understanding of scripture as held to this day by the Catholic Church. First, the Catholic understands that God, in attempting to communicate his infinite mysteries to these finite human persons, had little choice but to introduce a significant element of difficulty into his inspired word. Okay, I'm going to break that down for you. God was unable, okay, to deliver to us people something we could understand. So it fell to other men to tell us what God meant, okay? I just want to point that out because I'm going to continue on. Many of the fathers argued also that this difficulty serves to protect us from pride in the interpretation of Scripture, lest we think we can easily and perfectly expound all the mysteries of God. And the last little section, Aaron said this was too long to read, so I had to jump in and tell you what I thought about it as I went along. Although the Catholic knows that he can read Scripture for personal encouragement and inspiration, He also knows that he must be humble, studious, and cautious about asserting the ultimate meaning of the texts. This process of public interpretation is ultimately governed by... Listen. It's governed by church authority, which alone can determine not only what each book teaches, but even which books are inspired in the first place. Okay, that is honest, and I have found this not as well put together in other Catholic, uh, including the catechism. This is what Catholics believe about Scripture. You see, Catholics realize that God is unable to adequately communicate his truths to man. So it's up to the men who make up the hierarchy of the Catholic Church to do that for him. I especially like the last line, the the process of public interpretation is ultimately governed by the church who alone can tell us what the books teach and what are the books of the Bible. You do know, of course, that they have extra books in their Bible that um, others do not have. Okay, with that as background... The Catholic Church approach to Scripture is quite different than the Apostle Paul's in the book of Acts. While the Judaism of Paul's day was very aware of Old Testament messianic prophecy and were anxiously awaiting the uh, promised Messiah, they were thrown off in what they understood about him by allusions to a king in David's line, and a throne that would never be vacated. They were expecting an all-conquering hero who would throw off the shackles of mainly their um, Roman conquerors and restore Israel to its rightful place in the world. Thus, this Jesus of Nazareth could not be the Christ. 
He was crucified as a criminal. He was hung on a tree. Um, All of Jerusalem had seen him die because the Romans wanted to make... The Romans, they are serious about keeping the peace. So when they killed somebody, they wanted everybody to see him killed. They wanted them humiliated in the worst possible way, so they stripped them naked in front of the crowds. And then they just made sure, run everybody through with a spear to make sure they were good and dead. Therefore, Jesus could not be the long-awaited Messiah, the new King David, because it was impossible in their minds. And as we just saw earlier, when Paul began preaching in Thessalonica at the beginning of Acts 17, you'll remember what he said there, and I'll read it for you in case you don't. It says, um, And Paul went in as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them, Jews in the synagogue, from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. So he had to get a new teaching from the Old Testament into their minds because they were not looking at it from the correct standpoint of messianic prophecy. What Paul taught to the Thessalonians was not some men's or some church's institutional teaching from the prophets in the Old Testament, but he was preaching the plain teaching of what the Catholic Church says you can't understand. Uh, Paul spent three weeks explaining and proving that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. If you think that's too hard to understand and that Jews can't understand it, We've gone through, I've told you what the uh, uh, Jews say about Isaiah 53, which is probably what Paul was teaching because he wasn't teaching the kingship of Jesus. He was teaching the crucifixion of Jesus. And we know that the Jews call Isaiah 53 the forbidden chapter of the Bible. I have seen testimony from a number of Israeli Jews that said, wow, when I read this, you know who it is. I have seen videos of Jews being read this chapter who say, well, that's from your Christian Bible. And the Messianic Jew who is reading it to them because that's who's doing this takes and shows it to them in their own Bible. And they say, you know what? Well, they don't say this. I say this. You know what? There is a plain and simple reading to the Bible that everyone can understand The Jews in the synagogue in Thessalonica knew exactly what Paul was teaching and the implications of that teaching, of what that teaching said about Judaism. Just like their forefathers, they too killed the prophets. And now the blood of the Messiah, the Son of God, was on their hands because they rejected him too. And also, just like their forefathers, instead of repenting, they doubled down on their sin, seeking to kill the prophet, Paul, who came to explain these things to them. And as the synagogues of Thessalonica uh, searched for Paul and Silas to bring them out to the mob, it doesn't say for what reason, but 
I, I think you can guess. Verse 10 says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, where they arrived. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. So Paul and Silas went right to the synagogue when they got to Berea. And what line of preaching do you think Paul used? Okay. Our verses for today is verses 11 and 12. We just have two. I thought this was going to be a really easy thing for me to pick the minds of uh, commentators. Not one commentator in the books that I did covered these two verses. Not one. So I'll cover them. And you're getting it from me this time. So it says, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word, which is the word that Paul was preaching, with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. That these Jews, quote, were more noble than those in Thessalonica, tells us by this comparison that Paul preached the same message to both cities, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. That's what he preached to them. These Jews in Berea eagerly heard his word and examined the scriptures daily to seek out the truth of what Paul was saying. Paul, the famous rabbi, undoubtedly pointed them towards, as I said, uh, the scriptures that proved God's plan. But note, God's impossible, unlikely plan, hidden for a millennia in plain sight in scripture, was not too hard to discover by a plain reading of God's word. These, these Jews in Berea, I believe, were not trained rabbis, and yet reading what the preacher Paul pointed out to them in Scripture led them to the truth of what he was saying. Now, Paul didn't tell them what they had to believe, okay? He didn't tell them what they had to believe. He preached the Word and encouraged them to read Scripture for themselves, The Bereans found God's word to be, as the Catholics complain about we Reformed Christians, clear and obvious, like a 20th century newspaper account of plain facts that anyone can understand, because it is. And notice that that God calls them more noble in his word. It is more noble to read scripture with the goal of understanding its meaning and understanding God's word. Okay, it is more noble to do that. And that is exactly what the Bereans did. Many of them believed. And remember in the other synagogues that Paul has gone into, it says few of the Jews believed, but many of the leading women and uh, uh, Gentiles and uh, leading men of the city. Well, here... It does not read, not a few, it does not read a few, it reads many of them, of the Jews believed in Berea, that read the prophets with an open and searching mind. 
You know, Proverbs 8.17 tells us that, he says, I love, God says, I love those who seek me. And those who seek me diligently find me. That is a promise of God. And that is what the Jews in Berea did. If any man in history deserved to be believed in his presentation of God's truth, you would think it would be Paul, okay? You would think that Paul could say, believe me when I tell you this. He was a student of Gamaliel, not the last of a great family of uh, uh, Jewish rabbis, but uh, falling in the middle of them. Still revered to this day. He was a doctor of Jewish law. He was the equivalent of a PhD in Jewish religion. He was converted by a direct physical act at the hand of Jesus Christ and then instructed in the gospel for a period of several years by Jesus himself in the deserts of Araby. If anybody could say, this is the truth. Take it from me and you don't have to listen to anybody else. It would be Paul. And yet, there in Berea, when he preached Christ and him crucified and the resurrection and godhood of the Messiah, look at his reaction when these Jews examined his preaching through the lens of Scripture. Luke reports the Bereans received his teaching with eagerness and examined the Scripture daily to make sure Paul's teaching aligned with God's word, and Paul was not insulted. He didn't say, you Bereans, I'm the authority here. Just trust me, as the Catholic Church will say to you. No, Luke, and therefore God, and therefore Paul also, calls them more noble. Paul probably called them more noble first. Luke reported it. And God agreed, okay, in his scripture. They were called more noble for taking Paul's teaching back to scripture for verification and understanding. More noble was Paul's description of their behavior at this new explanation of old, Old Testament prophecy. Now man has attempted to understand God's word. From the time Moses came down from Sinai to today. And they've tried to do it on man's own terms. Which is what commentaries are about. I read commentaries. There is nothing wrong with me reading commentaries. I try to read what other great thinkers have thought. Sometimes I like to steal an idea for a sermon. Okay? Uh, But these men have dedicated their lives to doing this. That's where the Talmud came from. From the time, and I've said that before, from the time Moses came down from Sinai, they said, oh, Ten Commandments, what do you think these things mean? And they started dissecting them. From the very, very beginning, as I said, the oral, oral Torah was the first attempt taken from God's instruction to Moses uh, to write these things and say these things to his people. Thus, by saying that write these things and say these things, the Jews decided that some of God's law was written and some was spoken. Um, I'm here to say that unwritten scripture, the oral Torah, isn't worth the paper it isn't written on. Okay? It is commentary. 
Jesus tore into the Pharisees' use of it in Matthew 23, in which I didn't know we were going to read today. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. And what that refers to is that the Old Testament said you are to tithe, a tenth of everything. And in the Talmud, the Jews have decided that, you know, you have to tithe mint and cumin and all these other different things. But then, as Jesus says, you neglect the weightier things of the law. You, 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 he says, you blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. And that's just referring to the laws of cleanliness for um, Orthodox Jews that they do to this day. He says, you blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. In the strongest terms... Jesus here condemns the teaching of the Pharisees through man's writings in the oral Torah. And that sounds like a contradiction, but we do know that the oral Torah has been written down in the Mishnah now. But it is man's interpretation of what God means. And Jesus is condemning man's interpretation of God's law as opposed to what God had actually said. Man has either added to or misinterpreted deliberately God's word from the very beginning. I've got a list right here. Yeah, I'm, I'm almost done with the sermon. But this is a list of heresies from the first century through the 19th. And it doesn't list Mormonism, Catholicism, Jehovah's Witnesses, or Christian science, okay? Those are left off, so there's more than 40 heresies that have gone on. But... Uh, Docetism, Montanism, Universalism, Gnosticism, Modalism, Pelagianism, Arianism. Okay? It goes on and on and on. The heresies of man. All these heresies add man's interpretation to what the Roman Catholics deride as Protestants' understanding of scriptures as plain as day or clear and obvious like a newspaper account. I contend that anyone who does not see scripture in, the, in that way as, as plain as day, as clear and obvious, is trying to add their own interpretation to the word for their own purposes, be that Power, be that for their own uh, profit of some way, uh, for some sort of gain, uh, whether monetary or psychological, uh, for man's accolades, or to simply lead man astray. There are those are the re- some of the reasons why people do this. The five solas of the Reformation was the taking back of the meaning of Scripture from from unscrupulous men. Okay? From unscrupulous men. They defended these beliefs, Scripture alone, faith alone, 
grace alone, Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, through God's word in scripture, and you can find those scriptures on any published solas of the faith. So what are man's response to these eternal truths in the judgments? These is what the Catholic Church says about the five solas. To faith alone, and this is directly from them, and this is, is from a Catholic site. To faith alone, they say, and I'm going to clean up the archaicisms of the language, so, but I won't change the meaning. If anyone says that by faith alone, the impious is justified, in such way as to mean that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to the obtaining of the grace of justification, and that it is not in any way necessary that he be prepared and disposed by the movement of his own will, let him be anathema. And as you know, anathema means to be cursed. That's from the Council of Trent, Canons on Justification, Canon 9. To grace alone, the Catholic Church says, moved by the Holy Spirit and charity, we can then merit for ourselves and for others the graces needed for our sanctification, for the increase, increase of grace and charity, and for the attainment of eternal life. We can do that for ourselves and for others. That's from the Catholic Catechism, uh, 2000, uh, number 2010. Moved by the Holy Spirit, we can merit for ourselves and for others all the graces needed to attain eternal life as well as necessary temporal goods. That's from 20, uh, uh, Catechism number 2027. To Christ alone, okay? They say, if anyone says that it is an imposture to celebrate Masses in honor of the saints, okay? To have Masses for the saints and for obtaining their intercession with God. Praying to the saints, for intercession with God, as the church intends, let him be cursed. Council of Trent, uh, Canons on Justification, Canon 9. To glory alone. Their response is, by asking Mary to pray for us, we acknowledge ourselves to be poor sinners and we address ourselves to the Mother of Mercy, the All-Holy One. That's Mary, okay? That's how they describe Mary. Uh, Catechism 2677, after speaking of the church, her origin, mission, and destiny, we can find no better way to conclude than by looking to Mary. Catechism 972. So no man goeth to Christ but by his mother. Uh, that's from the Vatican website. Encyclical of Pope Leo Thirteenth. Uh, who, and he was Pope from 1903 to 1914. That's what they say about that. And to Scripture alone. Okay? That's the last one. The Roman Catholic Church says, The Church, to whom the transmission and interpretation of revelation are entrusted, does not derive her certainty about all revealed truths from the Holy Scriptures alone. Both Scripture and tradition must be accepted and honored with equal sentiments of devotion 
and reverence. Okay, you know, I've talked to you about the oral Torah, the, the Talmud and the Mishnah, and today's Jews place the Talmud and the Mishnah, and they're basically the same thing, on the same level or higher as Scripture. They appeal more often to the Talmud than they do to Scripture. This is not the teaching of Scripture. This is the teaching of fallen man. I've said to you all before that I really, really try to only preach Scripture, to preach the Word of God. To that end, I seek out the best Orthodox Reformed scholars I can find. I try to teach nothing new, something that I find novel. I try not to do that. When I do, I will tell you that um, it's something I haven't found anywhere else. I let you know up front that it is, especially if it came from me, if it's an insight I had, I let you know it was my insight. So you can go to the scriptures yourself and check it out. But above all that, I urge you not to take my teachings without searching the scriptures for yourselves. I, uh, despite my best and honest, most honest intentions, I am a fallen man. I sometimes misspeak. I do that a lot. I sometimes misunderstand something. Sometimes I just don't communicate well. Examine what I say by Scripture, okay? Because what Scripture says is not subject to what a man says, or the tradition of a church, or an enunciation by some church's pope. The word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God was able to convey his eternal truth in his word, and the Apostle Paul simply pointed men towards it who then looked into his teaching by examining scriptures to see if what he said was true. And in doing so, they were called, in God's word, more noble. And such is anyone who does so with the teachings they hear. Amen. Let's close in prayer.